The RPG After Years is part of the We Can Make This Work Probably Network. Find out more at probablywork.com. Welcome to the RPG After Years, your weekly show covering all things RPGs from the past, present, and future. This is episode 106. I'm Scott. And I'm Rich. Coming up on today's episode, you guys all played along with us. We all beat it together. So now the time has come. And speaking of time, many people call it the greatest RPG of all time. That's right. We're reviewing the 1995 time-traveling SNES JRPG classic. It is Squaresoft's Chrono Trigger. Since it's a review episode, we won't be doing all of our normal segments. No news, no Patreon talk, no tea times, no catch-up. Just some straight-up review goodness. But before we hit that up, here are some quick show updates. Richard, what is going on with our RPG Club, buddy? So, let's tell you what the RPG Club is. So, brief explanation of this is pretty simple. It's a book club, but for video games. We have checkpoints. We all reach those together. We discuss, and at the very end, we review this thing. Uh, So currently, there is no game at the moment. There is no checkpoint. There is no due date. However, nominations have begun. They will close on Sunday, April 10th, at that which point voting will begin on when we decide which game we'll be playing. So I don't get to nominate this time. So I'm excited to see what it is. Us hosts have a rule where if we miss the checkpoint three times in a single game, we lose our nomination. So, yeah. Um, yep. But the RPG Club is open to everybody. The patrons are the ones that get to make the nominations and vote on what game we will be playing for the RPG Club. So, yeah. Excited to see what gets picked. It's almost unfortunate with the Chrono Cross Remaster coming out. Our rule about uh, <laughs> no back to back same yeah. series. I almost want to make an exception, uh. but rules are rules, I guess. Yeah, I'm still going to play it. Yeah. 
Um, so as far as RPGs that have released in the last week, we got Weird West on the PS4, Xbox One, and PC on March 31st. Also on the 31st was Coromon. Did I read something about that being delayed, or am I making that up? Uh, I think the PC one's being released on time, but the Switch version is delayed. Gotcha. Okay. Yep. Uh, Terror Bane is coming to Switch and PC on the 1st. We got very almost eerily timing. Chrono Cross, the Radical Dreamers Edition remaster, coming to PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC on April 7th, which is also the day this episode releases, which is kind of surreal. Also, Demio PC Edition on Steam is entering early access on April uh, 7th as well. But what about this week, Rich? Nothing. <laughs> we have nothing coming up. Yep, no it's RPGs. Okay. Sorry. It's okay. Sorry, <laughs> Sometimes... Guys. Sometimes we need a little time to catch up on our backlogs, right? Oh, God. <laughs> right? Our backlogs. Um, one more quick announcement. The Final Fantasy VII Material Lockdown is on now. I know we got a, a handful of people playing along. This is our uh, charity challenge created by our old co-host, Bill. Uh, basically, you can play along in Final Fantasy VII, and we have a Twitter bot that tells you what color materia your characters are allowed to use. And this year, Bill has added a Nuzlocke uh, component to it for those who are interested in uh, masochism and self-punishment. So <laughs> nope. um, you can find out more about that at materialockdown.com. And it's all for a good cause. It goes to the Motor Neuron Disease Association. So check that out if you want to play along. But with all that out of the way, let's hop through that mysterious time portal that just appeared in our recording studios and start this review. Okay, so today we're going to be covering the history and hopefully gameplay of Chrono Trigger, but I found a lot of shit on the development history <laughs> of Chrono Trigger. This is a famous game, and I think it's one of those cases where it was almost over-documented by the fandom. So, Oh yeah. We're going to see how far we get, and we'll see if we get to gameplay or not today. But anyway... So Chrono Trigger was first released in Japan on March 11th, 1995, which was 9,885 days ago, or 27 years, 0 months, and 23 days ago. In America, it came out later that year, on November 25th, 1995, which was 9,626 days ago, or 26 years, 4 months, and 9 days. So there you go. However, I was... I think I knew this somewhere in the back of my head, but Europe did not get this game until 2009, February 6, 2009. Their first version of the game was the DS port, the Nintendo DS port. Um, I uh, thought, yeah, right. That's so sad. I'm surprised. I'm almost surprised since Europe didn't get it, that this game became as popular as it did. Um, But then it's also, for some reason I had in my head that the PS1 version was their first uh version but no mm. they got the best version i guess first uh that was 13 years one month and 28 days ago so on this show when we do a review one segment we always do is we go over what was going on pop culture wise at the time of release um with the number one song billboard and then number one box office movies so when the game came out in the u.s in 1995 the number one uh, music track was 
Exhale, Shoop Shoop by Whitney Houston. Have you heard this before, Rich? Yes. I'm trying to think in my head. I'm pretty sure I have, yeah. I'm not sure I have before this either. Uh, but it's very 1995 Whitney Houston, I guess. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. R.I.P. Um, I don't hate this song. It's not really my style. but. Eh. So many years later, in 2009, when Europe finally got Chrono Trigger, it was Lily Allen's The Fear. I'm not sure I've heard this one before, but I kind of like it. It's kind of a bop. I don't. I don't like it. <laughs> well, fuck you. I don't like you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's this okay. Sounds weird to me. It is kind of got a little, like a weird sound to it, but alas. I'm just going to listen to this all day, just to spite you. <laughs> but what about the movies, Rich? So, in the U.S., the number one box office movie was Toy Story. So, that was directed by John Lannister, starring Tom Hanks and Tim Allen. Have, have you seen this movie, Scott? I've never have even heard it? of it. What's Toy oh Story? God. Oh, <laughs> man. It's about this horror film where all the toys come to life. Oh, wait. That's a different movie. So, No. <laughs> No, it, everyone's seen this movie. Literally so, everyone. Yes. You got a friend in me, Scott. That's, I know. that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So the UK box office, number one, uh, when uh, Europe got theirs, was Slumdog Millionaire, uh, directed by Danny Boyle, starring Dev Patel and uh, Frida Pinto. Have you seen it? I don't think I have. Yeah, me either. I know it's an iconic movie, but yeah, it won like every award the year it came out. I remember, but never seen it myself. Hmm. Kind of feel like maybe I should add that to the list, actually. Anyway, eh. so moving on to the actual history. So Chrono Trigger is a 1995 Japanese role playing video game developed and published by Squaresoft, later Square Enix, and originally released for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. It is the first game in the Chrono series. The game's story follows a group of adventurers who travel through time to prevent a global catastrophe. The gameplay involves active turn-based battles in which the party members can combine powers. So, since I have so much information here, I had to uh, kind of organize all this stuff into sections. So, I'll go over the uh, early development of the game first. So, Chrono Trigger was conceived in 1992 by Hironobu Sakaguchi, the Gooch, creator and producer of the Final Fantasy series. Yuji Hori, writer, game designer, and creator of the Dragon Quest series. And Akira Toriyama, the character designer of Dragon Quest and creator of the Dragon Ball manga series. For anybody that's seen the art style of Dragon Ball or Dragon Quest, I think it's pretty obvious (laughs) that the same guy did all this. Yep. Uh, Square dubbed these three, quote, the Dream Team, which can even be seen in the game if you find the in-game developer's room. Um, So they traveled to the United States to research computer graphics, and when the three met, they decided to create something that no one had done before. 
After spending over a year considering the difficulties of developing a new game, they received a call from Kazuhiko Aoki, who offered to produce it. The four met and spent four days brainstorming ideas for the game. Square convened 50 to 60 developers, including scenario writer Masato Kato, whom Square designated as the story planner. About half of the staff had worked on Final Fantasy VI, with the other half being newcomers. And just for a frame of reference for everybody, uh, Final Fantasy VI had come out the previous year. So, uh, yeah, so that really is like a, a huge team of like n- names. Like all those names are almost uh, are recognizable by most people familiar with Square staff, I guess. <laughs> oh, yeah. So development started in the early 1993 and uncredited Square employees suggested that the team developed a time traveling themed game, which Cato uh, uh, initially opposed fearing repetitive, dull gameplay. Another recurring theme in the game were dreams. And thus, during the game's development, it was referred to initially as the Dream Project. Cato uh, and Hori then met several hours per day during the first year of development to write the game's plot. So, yeah. I think I mentioned this in a previous episode, but I can't think of a game that handles time travel in a more logical way that makes sense in this game than any other game. Like, <laughs> like it just what doesn't make sense in 13 too. <laughs> That'll come up later, but yeah, <laughs> you, you change you can't change the future to change the past. It makes no sense. Uh, no, it does not. So Square intended to license the work under the Saiken Densetsu franchise, that's the Mana series, for those that don't know, and gave it the working title Maru Island, which is kind of weird considering Maru Island is not a thing in this game, but I digress. According to Tanaka, Secret of Mana, which itself was originally intended to be Final Fantasy IV, was codenamed Chrono Trigger during development before being called Saiken Densetsu II, or Secret of Mana. And then the name Chrono Trigger was adapted for the new project. So it's kind of funny because Chrono Trigger was almost a mana game, and it was also almost a Final Fantasy game. Whoa. <laughs> so it ended up doing its own thing in the end. <laughs> the team hoped to release it on Nintendo's plan, Famicom Disk Drive. When Nintendo canceled the project, Square reoriented the game uh, for release on a Super Famicom cartridge and rebranded it as Chrono Trigger. Uh, Tanaka credited the ROM cartridge platform for enabling seamless transitions to battles on the field map. I honestly forgot about that disk drive project that they had. I did too until I was doing this research. Isn't Uh, that the thing that the disk drive is what eventually turned into the PlayStation? I think that's you're thinking of the Super Famicom disk drive, but they had a a disk drive planned for the NES version as well. I think it was going to run off floppies or something like that. Gotcha. Okay. That's what I thought. Yeah. So, Moving on to graphics and design, Aoki ultimately produced Chrono Trigger while director edits were attributed to Akihiko Matsui, Yoshinori Kitase, that's another big name in Square, and Takashi Tokita. Toriyama designed the game's aesthetic, including characters, monsters, vehicles, and the look of each era. Kato also contributed character ideas and designs. Kato planned to feature the guru of time, Gaspar, as a playable character, and Toriyama sketched him, but he was cut early in development. So I thought that was really interesting that Gaspar oh. was almost a character. I would have expected uh, if there was a character that, that got cut, it would have been Shala as playable. But mm. huh, interesting. Uh, Hiromichi Tanaka, who would later go on to produce Chrono Cross, monitored Toriyama's early designs. 
The development staff studied the drawings of Toriyama to approximate his style. Sakaguchi was responsible for the game's overall system and contributed several monster ideas. Yeah. So other notable design designers, including uh, Tetsuya Takanashi. Did I say it right? Tetsuya Takahashi. I, I kind of said it right. All right. The, the graphic director and go for it. Yasuyuki Hone. And Tetsuya Nomura. That's a very well-known name. And can you say that next one? I guess that was one of his <laughs> early works. Because I, when I was in the developer's room, I was like, haha, Tetsuya Nomura is not in the room that has the big wigs like uh, no. Toriyama and uh, all those others. They wouldn't and, let him put a lot of belts in, probably. That's why. Yeah, he was. He still wasn't trusted, I guess. Yes. And Yusuke Naora. Naora. Okay. Who worked as a field graphics artist. Uh, Kamita programmed uh, graphics and cited Ridley Scott's visual work in the film Alien as an inspiration for the game's lighting. I thought that was interesting. I guess you can kind of see that in like maybe like the Ocean Palace. I can't really think of um, other areas that are alien-like in lighting. But yeah, that would make sense actually. Um, so, Kamita initially or initially made the game's luminosity and color palette by laying between the Secret of Mana and Final Fantasy series. Features originally intended to be used in Secret of Mana or Final Fantasy VI. Uh, also under development at the same time, uh, were appropriated for the Chrono Trigger team. I never thought about it, but I guess... Cr- it's like they borrowed from each other constantly. Yeah. <laughs> as far as like the colorfulness of the palette, it, it, it isn't as dark as Final Fantasy VI, but it's not as bright as Secret of Mana. So that makes sense to me. Um, so I do want to point out, out there was some confusion on my part when I was planning this episode. So Final Fantasy VI came out the year before, but the Wikipedia article says that feature that Secret of Mana and Final Fantasy IV were under development at the same time. So I didn't, don't understand that. I think there's some kind of mix-up going on there. <laughs> uh, maybe one of the listeners can correct me. Correct us. Let us know what really went on there. So moving on to the story, uh, Yuji Hori, who was a fan of time travel fiction, such as the TV series The Time Tunnel, which I've never heard of, uh, fostered a theme of time travel in his general story outline of Chrono Trigger with input from Toriyama. Hori liked the scenario of the grandfather paradox surrounding Marl. I guess, yeah, where she gets erased from history because her ancestor is never saved. I too ah. thought that was like a cool story point. Uh, concerning story planning, Hori commented, quote, if there's a fairground, I just write that there's a fairground. I don't write down any of the details. Then the staff brainstorm and come up with a variety of attractions to put in. So I guess the he, he like left it some things open to the actual developers to decide what's there. That's good. Saves less brain power. Yeah. <laughs> Just like fairground there. Do something with it. Then somebody's like, oh, great. I got to play in eight mini games. <laughs> yep. uh, Sakaguchi contrib- contributed some minor elements, including the character Gato, who is that singing robot at the fair. He also, which is, I don't know why everybody focuses in on Gato because he's a really minor part of the game. But anyway, uh, he also liked Marl's drama and reconciliation with her father. I too liked that. Masato Kato subsequently edited and completed the outline by writing the majority of the game's story, including all the events of the 12,000 BC era. He took pains to avoid what he described as a, quote, long string of errands such as do this, take this, defeat these monsters, or plant this flag. Fetch quests. Right, exactly. 
I would, I'll say they probably did a pretty good job. The only time in the game where I started to feel it was getting a little fetch questy was when you're trying to get and power up the Masamune to get Frog to join you. Um, the rest yeah, but that was part of the story, though. I mean, yeah. it wasn't, like, that wasn't something bad. Right. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. Per se. Uh, Kato and other developers held a series of meetings to ensure continuity, usually attended by around 30 personnel. I'm not sure if that sounds like a lot or... Would it be fun or annoying to be in a meeting about game continuity with 30 people? I'm trying to think here. Like he had a big long table, 15 on each side, him leading with the head of the table. Eh, wouldn't be too bad. It would be very annoying today on a Skype or Zoom call and being like, oh, dear God, 20 people. Sorry, I was on mute. <laughs> yeah. All right. So Cato and Hori initially proposed Chrono's death. Interesting. Spoiler alert. Uh, though, yeah. They intended to st- him to stay dead. Wow. Um, the party would have retrieved an earlier living version of Chrono to complete the quest. Uh, the game's ending would have shown them returning Chrono to the proper time, although Chrono would, ne- would know he was destined to die at the hands of Lavos. Uh, Square deemed the scenario too depressing and asked Chrono to be brought back to life later in the story. Uh, I kind of would have liked that one better, I think. Yeah, I, I think that sounds cool because... Uh, you know, Bill comment, and even we commented that the death of Chrono falls kind of flat because you get the game never really makes you b- really believe that he's dead for real, and you uh, you get the you get him back so quickly, really. And in this scenario, you still get Chrono back, but it's not a happy ending for him necessarily. So I would have liked that. Well, if you think about it, you take him to go defeat Lavos. He's super powered. He knows what's going to happen to him. So, and you put him back in his original timeline, does he not make the same mistake twice? <laughs> That's a good point. Maybe that would have introduced some uh, Tommy Wami shenanigans. Yeah, so, it would have. I wonder if that was part of the reasoning. <laughs> anyway, uh, so Kato also devised a system of multiple endings because he could not branch the story out into many different paths. Chrono Trigger was the first RPG to feature true multiple endings. And I'm not sure what it meant by that, because it's hard to believe that there weren't alternate endings, but I don't know, in other games. Uh, Yoshinori Kitase and Takashi Tokita then wrote various subplots. They also devised an active time event logic system where you can move your character around during scenes, even when an NPC is talking to you. And with players talking to different people and steering the conversation in different directions allowing each scene to, quote, have many permutations. I always thought it was kind of weird that you can talk to people and then still run around while the text box is on the screen. It's not it's a bad intention then. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not a bad thing, but it also it's not like the characters react differently if you don't stand there and not move around. So weird. Hmm. So Sakaguchi likened the, the development of Chrono Trigger to playing around with uh, to. Tamawa's universe, Toriyama's citing the inclusion universe. of hu- Toriyama's Toriyama's uh, universe, citing the inclusion of humorous sequences um, in the games uh, that would have been impossible with something like Final Fantasy. I wonder what he, what he means by that. Um, when Square Company suggested a non-human player character, the team went through a few possible ideas, such as a monkey and a pig. Toriyama overheard the debacle and gave them one of his concept sketches of an anthropomorphic frog. And that's how Frog was born. 
Toriyama. I, I, the I told, pig idea is funny. Yeah, it could have been a monkey or a pig. I like the idea of uh, Toriyama like walking down the halls of Squaresoft and he hears people like in a boardroom nearby like, do we want to do a monkey or a pig? And he's like, no, 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 no. Wait a second. <laughs> I got something in the back. Yeah. All right. So here's some info about the gameplay. Uh, Katsuhisa Higuchi programmed the battle system, which hosted combat on the map without transition to a special battleground as most previous Square games had done. Higuchi noted extreme difficulty in loading battles properly without slowdowns or a brief black loading screen. So I actually had a thought about this. You know how a lot of the battles, before the battle begins, the monster like roars or screams and then they kind of move around into formation or come out of the side of the screen or whatever? Yeah. I wonder if that's like actually loading going on there when they're doing that. <laughs> it probably is. Yeah. Think about that. The game's use of animated monster sprites consumed with much more memory than previous Final Fantasy games, which had used static enemy graphics. You know, I never even thought about how the sprites are animated until we uh, I was planning this episode. So, huh. Also, the game's reuse of locations due to time traveling made bug fixing difficult as corrections would cause unintended consequences in other eras. I Good. guess that must be like locations that occur in multiple eras. Because if you make a fix in one era, then it, something's wrong in the other era. That's how I took that. Uh, Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So the team created the end of time to help players with hints, worrying that they might become stuck and need a console, uh, consult, a walkthrough. Uh, the game's testers had previously complained that Chrono Trigger was too difficult. As Hori explained, it was because we know too much. The developers think the game was games just right and that they being too soft. Basically telling the players that they're a bunch of bitches. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> they're, they're thinking from their own experiences. The puzzles were the same. Lots of players didn't figure out things we thought they'd get easily. Again, calling everybody a bunch of bitches. So it makes me wonder how much they did. It, they did make it easier based on that feedback, because uh, I think we both agree that Chrono Trigger is a pretty easy game. There's not really that many yeah. hard parts or confusing puzzles or anything. But uh, so Sakaguchi later cited the unusual desire of beta testers to play the game a second time or, quote, travel through time again as an affirmation of the new game plus feature. He said, wherever we could, we tried to make it so that a slight change in your behavior caused subtle differences in people's reactions, even down to the smallest details. I think the second playthrough will hold a whole new interest. And apparently, Chrono Trigger was the first game ever to use the term New Game Plus. So, mm. I don't think it was the first game with one, but it's the first time that term was used, which is really interesting. Well, then Elden Ring has uh, Chrono Trigger to thank. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Just saying. Um, so we got a section on music now, which there was a a lot of info about the music for some reason. Oh man! <laughs> All right. So Chrono Trigger was scored primarily by Yashinora Masuda, uh, with contributions from veteran Final Fantasy composer Nobuo Uematsu. Everybody knows who that is. Yep. Um, and one track by Noriko Matsuda, uh, sound programmer at the time. Masuda was unhappy with his pay and threatened to leave Square if he could not compose music. Sakaguchi suggested that he score Chrono Trigger, remarking, maybe your salary will go up. Masuda later <laughs> reflected, I wanted to create music that wouldn't fit into any established game, music of an imaginary world. Okay. I like the That's idea of the Gooch being like, 
why don't you make some music then and maybe we'll pay you more. So, yeah. <laughs> um, Interesting. So Kato became writers with composer Yasunori Mitsuda during development. Apparently they got really close actually, from what I understand. And they would collaborate on several future projects as well. Mitsuda said, quote, the game's director, Masato Kato, was my close friend, and so I'd always talk with him about the setting and the scene before going into writing the music. He slept in his studio several nights and attributed certain pieces, such as the game's ending theme, to faraway times, to inspiring dreams he had had. So it kind of sounds like a an example of developer crunch to me, but apparently yeah. it benefited him a little bit. Um, I also... No, while I'm thinking about it, in the developer's room in the game, two or three of the characters talk about losing a ton of weight or losing sleep because of the hours they put into Chrono Trigger. And I'm like, hmm, that wouldn't fly as well today. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. Later, Masuda also had a hard drive crash that lost around 40 in-progress tracks. I would cry. Yeah. He later contracted some stomach ulcers, which was when Matsu joined the project to compose 10 more pieces and finish the score. Masuda returned to work uh, to watch the ending of, with the staff before the game's release. Crying upon seeing the finished scene, Masuda later reflected that Chrono Trigger was a landmark game that helped mature his talent and had a significant influence on his life as a composer. He I almost was- died. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> That's literally why Matsu worked on the game at all is because he went to the like Matsuda was had health issues so that's kind of interesting that Matsu wouldn't have been involved otherwise um interesting I also thought the the little tidbit there about him crying upon seeing the ending is uh was really interesting and sweet it's a good ending so at the time of the game's release the number of tracks and sound effects was unprecedented the soundtrack spanned three discs in its 1995 release that makes me when they say unprecedented, it's like, really? Was it more than Final Fantasy VI, for example? But uh, Square would also release a one-disc acid jazz arrangement called The Brink of Time by Guido that year. And I do not even, I don't know what acid jazz is, to be honest. So, mm. In 1999, Square released another one-disc soundtrack to complement the PlayStation release of the game, which featured orchestral arrangements from the animated FMVs that were added to that version. Sayoshi Sito also composed four new tracks for the PS1 port's bonus menus that didn't appear on the soundtrack. For the DS version of the game, Masuda joined to ensure the music matched the SNES version. To promote the DS version, Square also held a random prize drawing for two copies of Chrono Trigger sheet music signed by Masuda. I wonder where those are now. (laughs) Probably destroyed. I bet we can find them on eBay. Yeah. Um, arrangements of Chrono Trigger have been performed at many video game concerts and orchestras over the over the years, sometimes led by Masuda or with him in attendance. Addition, Frog's theme and Robo's themes were played at the Tokyo's 2020 Olympics opening ceremony, along with a host of other video game music. I thought that was actually really cool. Yep, that was uh, that. that was just last year because the Tokyo 2020 Olympics didn't happen until 2021, thanks to COVID. So, yeah. <laughs> For the record, and as a matter of interest, Nobuo Uematsu composed the tracks Silent Light, Ruined World, Mystery of the Past, People Without Hope, Bike Chase, Underground Sewer, Primitive Mountain, Burn Babanga, Tyran Castle, and Undersea Palace. Noriki Matsuda and Uematsu collaborated on Boss Battle 1. 
So I thought that was interesting because if you look at those tracks, most of them are from the um, the prehistoric and future eras. So it's almost like Umasi was in charge of those eras music. I do love the fact that all these have names except for the the collaboration one. It says Boss Battle One, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> um, some of these tracks are good, but I'll be honest. I think in general, um, the the Mitsuda tracks are better. So yeah, interesting. Uh, moving on to some info about the release and localization of the game. The team originally planned to release Chrono Trigger in late 1994, but it was pushed back to the following year. Early alpha versions were demonstrated in 94 and 95 at V-Jump festivals. A few months prior to the game's release, Square shipped a beta version to magazine reviewers and game stores for review. An unfinished build of the game dated November 17, 1994, it contained unused music tracks, such as a secondary b- battle theme, uh, locations, and other features, such as a dungeon called the Singing Mountain in the prehistoric era that was cut from the final game because it didn't advance the story. And you could still hear those two tracks on the uh, the official soundtrack, I believe, which is interesting. The character Slash was also called Wiener, okay, <laughs> while Flea was named Ketchapa. The ROM for this beta version was eventually leaked and uploaded to the internet. So if you really enterprising listeners want to, you can check that out if, if you're uh, resourceful enough. So um, upon the game's release, Sakaguchi congratulated the game's graphic artists and field designers. He said he intended to perfect the, quote, sense of dancing you get from exploring Toriyama's worlds and the event that they would make a sequel, which, as we know, they eventually did. For the North American version, Sakuchi asked Ted Woosley uh, to handle the localization, giving him only 30 days to pull it off. Ouch. That's a lot. So lacking the help of a modern translation team, he memorized scenarios and looked at drafts of commercial players' guides to put dialogue in context. Woosley later reflected that he would have preferred two and a half months and blamed his rough schedule on the prevailing attitude in Japan that games were children's toys rather than serious works. He sounds bitter. Yeah. Some of his work was cut due to space uh, constraints, though he still considered Chrono Trigger one of the most satisfying games I've ever worked on or played. Nintendo of America censored certain dialogues, including references to alcohol, breastfeeding, and religion. Sounds about right for them, par for the course at that time. Um, and, and for those that aren't aware, Ted Woolsey uh, translated a lot of Square games back in the day, and he's kind of famous for taking liberties with the dialogue. For example, he uh, he was the one who came up with Spoonie Bard from FF4, as well as Son of a Submar- Submariner in FF6. So he's he's a pretty famous translator. All right, and so I think we haven't we've decided not to cover the gameplay today because we still got a, a healthy amount of history to go through here, but it's all good stuff. So we're going to take our break now and we'll catch you on the other side.
Are you nostalgic for a simpler time? A time where controllers didn't have so many buttons. A time where games weren't so overly complicated by so many plot devices. Yeah. Me too. I miss my NES. Hi. <laughs> I'm Bill, and I absolutely love old video games. But I didn't have anyone to play with. So I decided to start the Super Switch Club. That's right, a podcast dedicated to discussing and reliving the nostalgia of retro video games that are also on the Nintendo Online Virtual Library. Each week, my friends and I will discuss games from the NES to the SNES. Games like Super Mario World, Kirby's Dream Land 3, Donkey Kong Country, The Legend of Zelda, Super Metroid, Balloon Fight, Punch-Out! A Link to the Past, F-Zero, and so much more. The Super Switch Club is a podcasters assemble style show from the We Can Make This Work, probably, podcast network, where we'll be replaying and discussing some of our favorite video games from our childhood. So join us on the Super Switch Club, where you can relive the nostalgia of tearing your hair out over an NES game that loves to troll the shit out of you. Best of all, you can too. Head on over to probablywork.com slash superswitchclub now to learn more. All right, we are back and we're going to jump into the second part of the history. bill your corridors of time track made it into the review he was uh i was i told him i didn't think i was going to include it but he was like i'm gonna write if you don't so (laughs) (laughs) oh bill all right so the next thing we're going to talk about is the game's various ports that have been released over the years and there's a surprising amount of information about these ports so hopping right into it so the original snes edition of chrono trigger was released on the wii virtual console and this is the version that I played for the first time when I was in college, FYI. Um, previously, in April 2008, a Nintendo Power Reader poll had identified Chrono Trigger as the third most wanted game for the virtual console. And I actually tried to go back and find like archive Nintendo Powers on the internet because I wanted to know what two games were above it, but I couldn't find it, unfortunately. <laughs> um, Square released an enhanced, I say, quote, enhanced in quote because uh this is a not a popular port uh of chrono trigger developed by tos in japan for the sony playstation in 1999 uh square tried to time its release before that of chrono cross the 1999 sequel to chrono trigger to familiarize people with the story leading up to it so this version did include some new features it had an uh, anime cutscenes created by toriyama's bird studio and animated at toei animation as well as several bonus features accessible from achieving various endings. Now, I will say that uh, I do like the anime cutscenes. They're pretty cool when they do come up in the game. Yep, I like them too. 
Um, I'm glad that I finally played a version that had those this time. So Kato attended planning meetings at Bird Studios to discuss how the new ending could subtly tie to Chrono Cross. Uh, I think those that have played both will see the connections. Uh, the port was released in North America in 2001, bundled with Final Fantasy IV as Final Fantasy Chronicles. However, it was criticized due to its lengthy load times and an absence of new features. And I didn't pl- I didn't have Chronicles, but I had Anthology, which had Final Fantasy V and VI on it, and those ports were shit. Like, the loading times were terrible. Like, you would be waiting, you know, 20, 30 seconds for a battle to start. So I'm assuming oh, it damn. was similar in Chronicles. Um, some fans complained that Mitsuda's absence of involvement during the development of the PS1 port had caused the music to be subpar, which is interesting. Put a pin in that because that's going to come up in just a little bit again. I didn't know that the music was any different until I planned this episode, though. Hmm. Uh, so this release was also later released on the PlayStation Network in October 2011 for the PS3, PSP, and Vita. I hope none of our listeners played this version of the game. On July 2nd, 2008, Square Enix announced that they were planning to bring Chrono Trigger to the U- uh, Nintendo DS. Composer Yashinari Masuda was pleased with the project, explaining, finally, after receiving the news from Square Enix and said, it's still a very deep, high-quality game, even when you play it today. I'm very interested in seeing what kids today think about think about it when they play it. I thought it was interesting, because I guess even as a uh, staff member, Matsuda was like, Thank God, finally they're re-releasing it. <laughs> like, why did they wait so long? Yeah. We've talked about it a bunch of times before, but I've, it's always weird how Square treats the Chrono property. Like, they they forget about it for 10 years, and then they do something, and then... <laughs> I guess. Uh, Toast developed the DS release. It featured all the bonus content added to the PS1 port, as well as other enhancements, including better load times. It featured a more accurate and revised translation by Tom Slattery, which I think people have kind of divisive opinions on which version's better. Uh, also, a dual screen mode, which clears the top screen of all menus, and a self-completing map screen, and a default run option. It also featured optional touch controls. So based on what I'm reading here, I think this is probably the definitive or best version of the game, even over Steam. that's what I played. Congrats. How was it? Yep. Did you enjoy it these features? It was good. I did enjoy those features. They were awesome. pretty nice. I have it on DS2, but it was just, since I was streaming it, it was easier to do the Steam version. Yeah. Um, Masato Kato participated in development of the DS version, overseeing the addition of a monster battle arena and two new bonus dungeons, with the super boss that was added further foreshadowing the events of Chrono Cross by revealing more about what happened to the character Shala. Um, which, you know, I, I love Shala. And I'm looking forward. I haven't gotten this ending yet in my game, but I'm looking forward to seeing what the super boss is about and how it involves Shala. Hmm. One of the areas within the new dimensional vortex dungeon featured the unused singing mountain track we mentioned before. Uh, These dungeons were met with mixed reviews. GameSpot called them, quote, frustrating and repetitive. So I've completed one of these, the lost sanctum, I think it's called worst part of the game. Definitely terrible. <laughs> Don't play it. <laughs> Hopefully the Dimensional Vortex isn't as bad. Haven't gotten there yet. Because you can only do that one in a new game plus. So the DS port was the 22nd best-selling game of 2008 in Japan. Despite this, most fans consider the DS release the best version of the game. 
A cell phone version was released in Japan on iMode, a distribution service of August 25th, 2011. iOS version was released on December 8th, 2011. This version was based on Nintendo's DS version with graphics optimized for the iOS. It was later released on Android on October 29th, 2012. An update incorporating most of the features of the Windows version, including the animated cutscenes, was released on February 27, 2018 for both iOS and Android. Now, I my first playthrough of this entire series of this game was on iOS. Really? And how yes. was that? Um, it was fine. It must I, not have been too bad. You, you made it all the way through it. Yeah. I don't remember what I was doing. I think I was bored for a while. So I was like, yeah, I'm just going to play this. Do you remember when that was? Seven years ago. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Square Enix released Chrono Trigger without even announcing it, apparently, for Microsoft Windows via Steam on February 27, 2018. So they were just like, Chrono Trigger's out on PC now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this version included most of the new content from the PS1 and DS versions. It did remove the new Monster Arena. So that's the one thing from this game I don't get to experience, unfortunately. Not too, yeah. not too broke up about it. <laughs> I hate Monster Arena type <laughs> things usually. Um, it had high-resolution graphics, support for mouse and keyboard, and autosave features. However, it used a new graphical art style causing the port to be met with negative reception. So if you go and look at screenshots of uh, the other art style, it does look pretty bad in comparison. So this port was like universally panned when it first came out. It also featured additional glitches, UI adapted for touchscreens, etc., which is bad. Um, and then in response, Square Enix provided various ongoing updates to the game, bringing it more in line with fan expectations. I think they did like six major updates over the course of a, a year or two or something like that. It is now the recommended way to play the game for those who don't own DSs or don't want to play handheld. And I can say it the I don't have any problems with the PC port. It's crashed for me a couple of times, but other than that, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there's all the port infos. Um, so let's move on to the legacy of the game. So Chrono Trigger inspired several related releases. The first were three games released for the Satellaview on July 31st, 1995. And so for those that don't know, the Satellaview was a broadcast service that only happened in Japan where Nintendo would allow people to download uh, games broadcasted by satellite during set windows of time. So that's really interesting. Weird. Uh, so they included Chrono Trigger Jet Bike Special a racing video game based on the uh, original mini game in the game against Johnny. And then also, Johnny. yeah, right. Also Chrono Trigger character library featuring profiles on characters and monsters from the game and Chrono Trigger music library, a collection of music from the game soundtrack character and music library were later included with the PS one version. So I'm assuming that means it's on DS and steam as well. Most likely. So production IG later um, created a 16 minute OVA. Uh, how do you, what the hell? Do a manja? New manja time and space adventures, which was shown at the Japanese V jump festival in July, two, uh, 1996. It takes place it, the night before the events of the game began following a new and call a new and a kill which are monsters yeah. in the game. Yeah. 
through various adventures through the Millennial Fair as it is invaded by monsters. Several characters from the game, such as Gato and Johnny, also appear, which is weird. Johnny's from the future, isn't he? Yeah, I think all the monsters are coming in through Time Gate, so that's how they bring in some okay. of the other characters. Uh, the anime scene ends with a, with a scene featuring Chrono and Luca. The credits show New and uh, Killua uh, parod- uh, parodying scenes from the game. Uh, there was also a spinoff ma- uh, manga series of this and the V Jump starting in 1996. So I didn't know the stuff was there. Huh, I think eventually Bill and I plan to get together one Friday and watch this together and do an audio commentary. So patrons can look out for that. Um, there have been two notable attempts by fans to remake Chrono Trigger in 3D. They were Chrono Resurrection and Chrono Trigger Remake Project being the most notable. And I looked at some footage from these games and they both actually look pretty dang good. However, uh, both were shut down by Square Enix. Surprise. Sad. Uh, Another group of fans created a sequel called Chrono Trigger Crimson Echoes, which was virtually finished, but was also terminated by Square just days before it was supposed to be the final version was supposed to be released. However, a complete ROM was leaked in January 2011. So again, our enterprising listeners, it's out there. Huh. How can you find it? I wonder. Like, what is it supposed to be on? We can't legally say that. So, <laughs> uh, the game's Don't do fir- it. Yeah. Don't play it, guys. Don't play it. <laughs> the game's first uh, real sequel was released on the Satella View as well in 1996, and it was named Radical Dreamers. So having thought that Trigger ended with some unfinished business, which I think is a bit of an understatement, uh, the scenarist Masato Kato wrote and directed the game. It functioned as a side story to Trigger, resolving a loose subplot from its predecessor. It was a short, text-based game relying on minimalistic graphics and atmospheric music. It never saw a release outside of Japan, though it was translated by fans to English in April 2003. Square had originally planned to include Radical Dreamers and the PS1 port, but Kato halted his conclusion as he was unhappy with it. Yeah, from everything I gathered, it really seemed like, even though he finished it, Kato ended up like not liking Radical Dreamers and not wanting people to play it. So... I'm looking forward to seeing how it really is in the remaster. Speaking of, it finally saw an official English release as a part of Chrono Cross the Radical Dreamers edition on most consoles on April 7th, 2022. And if you are listening to this podcast episode on the day of its release, that is literally today. So you can go and play it. The first official version of Radical Dreamers right now. I thought that was kind of surreal when I wrote up this uh, document here. <laughs> yeah. So in, in 1999, Square released a full sequel to the game on PS1 called Chrono Cross. The game featured a new setting and a cast of characters only drawing direct references from the original game's story in the latter sections of the game. Uh, I won't spoil anything, anything here since the remasters allow new fans to experience the game for the first time, including myself, me. Never tried it briefly, never finished yeah. it. Never even like got too far. So I don't know. I think with the remasters uh, regarding- release that like restarts the uh, statute of limitations on spoilers. So, yep, yep. So we got to be careful with that. Uh, regarded by the, its writers and director Masuo Kato as an effort to redo Radical Dreamers properly, Chrono Cross borrowed certain themes, scenarios, characters, and settings from Dreamers. Radical Dreamers was consequently uh, removed from the series mainline uh, continuity, considered an alternate dimension. 
This okay. confused me too because I, I was like, "No way, is Radical Dreamers canon or not?" But apparently not because Chrono Cross is kind of almost a reimagining of Radical Dreamers. Apparently, so as of twenty twenty two, there are no plans for a new title in the series. Cue everybody crying. Despite a statement from Sakaguchi in 2001 that the developers of Chrono Cross wanted to make a new Chrono game. The same year, Square applied for a trademark for the names Chrono Break in the United States and Chrono Break with break spelled B-R-A-K-E in Japan. However, the U.S. trademark was dropped in 2003. Ah, yes, the infamous Chrono Break. At E3 2003... Sakaguchi commented that the team was too busy with Final Fantasy XI, of all things, to even consider a Chrono sequel. Uh, Yuji Horii expressed no interest in returning to Chrono in 2005, while Sakaguchi remarked in 2007 that his series Blue Dragon was an, quote, extension of Chrono Trigger. So for those that don't know, Sakaguchi left Square at some point and started up his own game development studio. Probably the biggest thing they did was Blue Dragon which was also illustrations by Toriyama. And so I thought this was funny because it's almost like he tried to borrow the goodwill of Chrono Trigger to be like, play Blue Dragon. Yep. <laughs> I've watched somebody play Blue Dragon. It's it's not bad. I liked it. Um, so during a Cubed interview in February 2007, Square Enix's senior vice president, Hiromichi Tanaka, said that although no sequel was currently planned, some sort of sequel was still possible if the Chrono Cross developers could be reunited. In 2014, Sakaguchi said that he had intended to continue the series, but problems with Square Enix's management prevented it from coming to fruition, which is weird and sad. That. Yeah, Square's always been weird with Chrono for some reason. Uh, Yasunori Mitsuda has expressed interest in scoring a new game, but warned, quote, there are a lot of politics involved, unquote, with the series, and stressed that Masato Kato would be needed. At E3 2019, Senior Vice President Shinji Hashimoto remarked, if people want a sequel, they should buy more, which I found to be very trite to say. Buy more of what? <laughs> yeah, the, everybody needs to buy this Chrono Cross remaster, okay? <laughs> if you ever want to yeah. see more Chrono. Which is the, it, the, the, the comment there that there's too many, there are a lot of politics involved, which in my opinion should not be the case for a video game company. Yeah, like what politics are there? It almost seems like maybe there's some animosity still towards uh, Sakaguchi or something. I don't. <laughs> Probably. Who knows? Weird. I don't know. Crazy. Right. Maybe one day. Uh, Square lately seems to have been realizing more of the value of its old properties. So maybe, just maybe, there's a chance. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> yes. All right. So moving on to some general trivia. So. I gave all of this to myself, Rich, since I thought it would be like me telling you all this interesting oh, stuff. Okay. So, uh, first off, Yoshinori Katasi stated that he used the time travel mechanics of Chrono Trigger as a starting point for that of Final Fantasy thirteen two, which, uh, you know, I love thirteen two, but maybe he should have looked closer Not. at Chrono Trigger. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, some of Toriyama's official artwork for the game shows characters wielding equipment they don't use in the game, such as a shield for Frog, a hammer for Luca, a gun for Robo, a red cape for Magus, and a club for Ayla. Also related, early concept designs show Magus with different armor, 
a less humanoid appearing Robo, and a straight-haired Ayla. So I thought that uh, Ayla, I liked this straight-haired Ayla. It reminded me of uh, Android 18 from Dragon Ball Z. But oh, the early designs for Robo though were really weird. I'm glad they changed that. Also, the character of Ayla is based on a character of the same name from Gene M. Owl's series, The Plains of Passage, where Ayla is a woman living in prehistoric times. So, kind of on the nose there. Uh, the character Norstein Beckler, who runs the Tent of Horrors at the Millennial Fair, has a laugh soundbite that is just a modified version of Kefka's laugh from Final Fantasy VI. And I've actually got these sounds queued up here. So here's Norstein Beckler's laugh. And here's Kefka's. Pretty clearly, just the, the same sound, modified. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but when I heard Beckler's laugh, I was like, that really sounds like Kefka's laugh. So <laughs> good to hear that's uh, validated. Uh, also, this isn't like actual factual stuff, but many fans think or believe that Robo's theme was inspired by Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up. So here's that. I bet you never expected to be Rickrolled by the RPG after years. (laughs) (laughs) I had explained what a Rickroll was to somebody and they had no idea what it was. I was like, okay, this is what this is. And I played it. (laughs) That's funny. What do you think? Do you think it was actually based on that? I mean, it's it's pretty damn close. Yeah, I don't know. I think I lean it's a coincidence, but maybe. (laughs) It's pretty close. Our next tidbit here, Square tried to include an anti-piracy measure that would cause the game to infinitely loop the time-traveling animation, which looks like a Windows Media Player 90s uh, visualizer to me, uh, when Chrono first travels through time. This uh, measure was even kept for the DS release. However, ROM hackers later found workarounds, of course, as they tend to do. Uh, there is a chest behind the counter of the Truce Inn that there is no way to access in the game without hacking. It contains 57,342 G. Why? <laughs> I don't know. That's a pretty good amount, though. Yeah. Um, so there are six enemies that were not implemented into the game, but they do have sprites. Most of these were used to represent some of the developers in the developer's room players can find. However, if you patch these enemies back into the game, the enemies either do nothing or just do basic attacks. However, one of these enemies is Johnny, who has a full stat build, indicating that Johnny may have been planned to be a boss at one point, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. In the Japanese version of the game, Megas' henchmen Slash, Flea, and Ozzy, who were obviously named after Slash from Guns N' Roses, Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Ozzy Osbourne of Black Sabbath. In Japan, they were named Suiso, Mayone, and Benega, respectively. And in English, this translates to soy sauce, mayonnaise, and vinegar. That. <laughs> Which, That's uh, weird. That also reminded me of uh, Dragon Ball, because you know a lot of characters in Dragon Ball are named after foods, randomly. Mm. 
Also related, in the Japanese version, Frog did not have an Old English speech pattern. So apparently he was just very blunt and direct in the Japanese version. Um, in Chrono Cross, the character of Guile was originally planned to be Magus. However, Kato stated that the large cast of characters in Chrono Cross caused them to make the decision to remove Magus, as it would be impossible to portray his storyline, which I thought was sad. That would have been cool to have another connection between the two games. If you've played Chrono Cross, you probably know why it is that Magus would have complicated things, but that's all I'll say about that. However, an extra ending added to the DS version does show Magus losing his memory, knowing that he is only searching for something, which is similar to the character of Guile. So I thought that was interesting too. And if you look at Guile's character design, they even look pretty similar. So yeah. Have to look at that. There's all the uh, trivia. So let's talk about the reception of the game now. All right. So the game was a bestseller in Japan where 2 million copies were sold in only two months. It ended the year as the best-selling game of 1995 in Japan below Dragon Quest uh Six. Um, it was also met with substantial success in America. The PS1 port topped the NPD Trust PlayStation sales charts over six weeks. Uh, by March 2003, the game's SNES and PS1 iterations had shipped 2.65 million uh, copies worldwide, including 2.36 million in Japan and 290,000 abroad. The PS1 version was re released in 2003 as part of the Sony's greatest hits line. Uh, Chrono Trigger's DS sold 790,000 copies worldwide as March 2009 included 249,000 in Japan, 240,000 in North America, and 60,000 in Europe. The SNES, PS1, and DS version shipped a combined 3.44 million copies worldwide by March 2009. Excluding the PC version, the game had shipped over 3.5 million copies worldwide by February 2018. It doesn't seem like it's shipped a lot compared to a lot of titles. I think I part of that's because we just talked about Elden Ring's sales figures last week, in which they did yeah. like 12 million since release, which is crazy. Yeah. Well, Final Fantasy 15 sold five. Yeah. So maybe that's, I mean, they're not nothing to sneeze at, but the, the sales figures don't, you're right, they don't seem extremely high, which may be why Square's always so reluctant to return to Chrono. Maybe. Chrono Trigger garnered much critical praise in addition to its brisk sales. Famicom Tsushin magazine gave it a 9 out of 10. Nintendo Power compared it favorably with Secret of Mana, Final Fantasy, and Zelda, A Link to the Past. Almost all aspects of the game were universally praised by critics. IGN commented, quote, It may be filled with every imaginable console RPG cliche, but Chrono Trigger manages to stand out among the pack. The only aspects that I could find that were criticized commonly by some outlets were the game's short length and relative ease, which are fair criticisms, I would say. Yeah. Electronic Gaming Monthly Magazine awarded Chrono Trigger Best RPG, Best Edit SNES Game, and Best Music in a Cartridge-Based Game in their annual rewards. In 2009, Guinness World Records listed as the 32nd most influential video game in history. Again... It's very popular. Square Enix, stop holding out. Sometimes I I wonder like why does Guinness World Records get to decide that? <laughs> I don't know. I also thought it was interesting that EGM had a different category about music based on whether it was a cartridge or a disc based game. Makes sense, I guess. But 
Uh, so Chrono Trigger is frequently listed among the greatest video games of all time. In 1997, EGM magazine ranked it as the 29th best console video game of all time, although noted that it was not as good as FF6, which they ranked at 9th. Shots fired. IGN has done six top 100 games of all time lists over the years. Chrono Trigger placed 4th in 2002, 6th in early 2005, 2nd in 2006, 18th in 2007, and 2nd in 2008. Which is it, IGN? <laughs> um, Game, Informer, Game Informer called it their 15th favorite game in 2001. Famitsu ranked it as the 28th game of all time in 2006. And in the first ever GameFAQs video game battle in 2004, Chrono Trigger was runner-up to Final Fantasy VII for the winner. Nintendo Power's 20th anniversary issue named it the 5th best fifth best Super NES game. In 2012, GamesRadar gave it 32nd best game of all time and first place in its best JRPG list. It also named Chrono Trigger as the second best SNES game after Super Metroid, which I thought was interesting. I'm, I love Super Metroid, so... Uh, Chrono Trigger's DS version currently places the game as a 92 out of 100 and the iOS version as a 71 out of 100 on Metacritic. Apparently, Metacritic doesn't cover SNES games, because I guess that's too old. Uh, and Game Rankings has the SNES version at a 96%, so pretty high. Yeah. And that's the history of Chrono Trigger. Phew. <laughs> that was so much. Jeez. This, was, this took me a while to put together, Rich. It was hard. <laughs> but you did fantastic. A lot of gr- great info there. So much interesting shit. Very over-documented. Um, but yeah, we're that's all we're going to cover today on Chrono Trigger. Next week, we'll get into the gameplay and some of the story, probably. Uh, we'll figure out if this is going to be a two- or a three-parter before then. But uh, you got any more thoughts about, about this the development history before we go to the outro? No, it just seems like a lot of uh, Square Enix executives don't know what they're doing. <laughs> I could have told you that they've been yes. saying that for, we've been saying that for years. So no. we should just, they should just give ownership to us and we'll fix yes. it. Yeah. We'll fix all the problems. We'll make them money. Okay. <laughs> Done. You know, I was thinking during that, that Robo's theme was, that was Frog's thing to just played, but I was kind of sad that I wasn't able to fit Robo's theme into the review. But I guess in a way, Rick Astley made that possible for us. He did. He did. <laughs> All right. So our outro, that's it for uh, this part of the review, everybody. Uh, so what are we doing next week, though, Rich? Oh, man. It's, uh, it's crazy. It's going to be the Chrono Trigger review part two. If we do decide to make this the last part of the review, uh, Bill will be joining us as well. It'll be the first time in a long time that it'll be the three of us all together. Oh, I'm excited. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so look forward to that. 
Uh, but do you want to remind everybody about the RPG Club one more time? Yes, the RPG Club, guys, uh, the current game is still to be determined. We don't have anything yet. There's no checkpoint. There's no due date. Uh, nominations have begun. They have started on yep. April 3rd. So to well, we're recording today, but while you get it, nominations have begun. Go for it. Nominate. Get in there. It's your last chance if you want to take join the Patreon and uh, yes. have take part in what games we might be playing next. Yep. Launching into our plugs, please rate and review the show on whatever podcasting service you may have. Uh, it really helps us out. The way the algorithm works, we are more visible the more reviews we get to new people. And we love meeting new people. So help us out. Yes. Patreon, like we talked about a few moments ago, is a, a great way to support the show. You get early episode access, ad-free episode, aftercast, extra reviews, RPG Club, and many, many more. Come find that at patreon.com forward slash RPG After Years. You can email us at rpgafteryears at gmail.com. We're also on Twitch. We're on Twitch right now. You can be a part of the show. We stream every Sunday, usually at 9 a.m. Eastern time. And I, I'm not sure if I said it. So that's twitch.tv slash RPG after years. <laughs> yes, yes. And if you want to have a conversation with us, come join our Discord. Link can be found in the show notes or our pinned tweet on Twitter. This is where we discuss anything and everything RPG related. And this is where we do a lot of discussions for the RPG club. Right. I should also mention uh, that I also stream to Twitch. And if you want to see me get the alternate endings in Chrono Trigger, uh, you can do that. I'm at twitch.tv slash the Scott spot. Finally, if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do that. We're at RPG years. If you want to reach out to me personally, I'm at the Scott spot. You can find me at hail blue one, five, six, nine. And that's going to be it for episode 106. Join us next week for episode 107, in which we shall continue slash complete the review question mark. But until then, Rich and I are going to time travel to another era. Until then, I'm Scott. And I'm Rich. And this has been the RPG After Years. See you next time, time travelers. Bye. Bye. Bye.